Welcome to this week's podcast. My guest on Facing the Canon is Gary Grant, founder and chairman of the Entertainer Toy Shops. Gary Grant, welcome to Facing the Canon. Good afternoon. It's great to have you, Gary. We've been friends. I was trying to remember this morning, but I think we've known each other for about 30... I think it's 30 years. 30 years. It has. We've been great friends and we've travelled and ministered together. Um, Right. Tell us what you do. Well, I play all day. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I, as a family business, own um, a chain of toy shops called The Entertainer. Uh, and we also trade online. So uh, we buy and sell lots and lots of toys. Uh, we employ just under 2,000 people. I have 173 shops in the UK, 50 in Spain, a very busy website. Um, and we're two thirds of the way through what's turning out to be a very challenging year. Absolutely, yeah, and we'll talk more about that. But I like the story, how it all begins. Uh, in a bicycle shop, that's where the story sort of begins. Tell us that story. So uh, I left school at 16. I didn't get on with school. I did all my exams and failed most of them, but I did get um, uh, an O-level in those days in maths. Yes. Um, And as a child, my parents had divorced when when I was three, um, so therefore, as I grew up as a child and even into my teenage years, if I wanted anything, because we had no money at home, I had to go out and earn the money. So I found all sorts of wheezes to raise money, earn money, whether it be sort of penny for the guy, which some of your older listeners might oh, remember. I remember. Um, I In those days, beer bottles had deposits on them. So I used to collect beer bottles and take them back to the off license and get, you know, one and two, three old P before we went decimalized yes. back on those. And I had a paper round and a... And I worked in my Kayla's sweet shop. I worked in a bike shop towards the end. But as I left school, the part-time job in this bicycle shop in Amersham became my full-time job when I left school. Um, And then shortly afterwards, probably um, 1976, 77, so I was, what, 19 then, um, we started selling this new thing in those days called skateboards. So it was largely... piece of plastic or a plank of wood with four wheels on the bottom. And it was new to the market, come from America. Um, and it was phenomenal for three years. Um, but uh, Christmas of 1979, the whole market completely finished. You know, people stopped buying skateboards and there was surplus stock everywhere. Uh, and I started this little business on the side of my day job, working at the bike shop, buying and selling skateboard equipment and selling it to uh, a guy who sent it to South Africa and a, and a guy based in Bristol. Um, and then I went to work in January 1981, um, and my boss had had enough with me running my little business on the side, and, and I got the sack. And, but that was one door closes, but then another door opens. So- it was, because um, I'd been married only about um, two years by this stage, um, and Kath and I were moving from um, a village outside High Wycombe to Amersham. And I thought, well, I need a job. Um, Kath said that I've always been unemployable. <laughs> so maybe starting my own business was a, yes. a way forward. Uh, and this toy shop um, came on the market in Amersham. Um, we went to look at it and decided we'd have a go at toys. Yeah. Um, so the year before we bought the toy shop, um, it, it had turned over £30,000. Uh, we opened the toy shop in May of 1981. And that first year, it turned over £100,000. 
So there was something that we were doing which was right. Yes. Um, and, and I just knew that, you know, you had to buy something for one price and sell it for more. And, that, and the bit in the middle called a profit. Yes. And as long as you haven't got expenses more than your profit, there was a bit left it, over. And, and that's where your uh, O-level <coughs> in maths came in. Absolutely. You were good with figures. Yeah, I've, I don't need a calculator. Yes. I'm pretty good with mental arithmetic. Oh, but that was the beginning. Okay, what about your journey of faith? I mean, how did you come to faith? Well, in 1991, we opened our third shop. But I was sitting on the stairs um, in April of 1981, uh, sorry, April of 1991, and I was thinking, but what is, what is the meaning of life? What is the purpose of the treadmill that I'm generating, which is going faster and faster and faster? And then um, literally a couple of weeks later, Cass Church had a men's breakfast. So um, she bought me a ticket and, and in the end I agreed I would go. And, and I just heard um, this speaker just talking about uh, Jesus and a relationship that he had with Jesus. Now, I thought this is, you know, I did RE at school, but they didn't talk about relationship. No. They didn't talk about closeness. They talked about God somewhere, maybe possibly in heaven. Um, and it was... I, it just felt like one that they taught me at school was was a bit of a history lesson. It was it was about how things were, but not how they are. Um, and that morning, I left that men's breakfast, went back to work, and the following day, I decided I'd take myself to church. Um, and the preacher on that men's breakfast was from Chorley Wood, so I turned up at a church in Chorley Wood, thinking I might see him. And I sat in church and I had the most unbelievable hour and a half. I, I, I encountered the Holy Spirit. It was transformational. He knew that I was never going to take two, three, five years finding out whether God really existed. And God shows up for me in a, in a significant way. And over that next week, just amazing things happened. Um, and it, you, I could have just thrown it all to one side and said, it's all a load of con uh, sure. coincidences. Oh, that was a coincidence. That was a coincidence. But... But it, it wasn't. No, it wasn't. So it was you went to the church, left the church, and you knew that you'd had an encounter yes. with Jesus. Yes. And did that become obvious to your wife? Not that night. No. Because <laughs> she didn't know I'd gone to church. No. But the next day, I. No, it wasn't the next day. It was the Tuesday. I, I then I, I took her out for the evening, but back to the church I'd been to. So on the way taken her out she said where are we going and I explained to her what had happened on the Sunday um, and and now she's sort of taken aback really because she said well you know friends friend I, I've been praying about you with all my friends for years well for the two years she was a Christian I said oh really now you tell me yes <laughs> um, so she was I don't know how she felt that day but I think it was a turning point sure well, in our marriage in particular um, I think um, how long have been a Christian now? 30 years next year. If I hadn't become a Christian, probably would have been divorced by now because I was, I was so focused on, on making money and, and, and business. I'm not, not focused on, on running a successful business now, but there, there is a little bit more of a balance. Sure. Um, so it's not business before everything else. And, you know, first of all, it's, it's what, is, what is my faith doing? What is my relationship with Jesus doing? And we run business in that way. So I think what I've struggled with over the last 30 years is how do I make my faith living and active for seven days a week yes. not have a faith for Sundays yes 
Yeah, well, and that's the challenge. But what I admire about you, Gary, is that you, you have this encounter with God and you, you then take uh, biblical principles, biblical values, and you're endeavoring to live them out in your business. Mm-hmm. And um, one of those is during the season of Halloween. Mm-hmm. And um, tell us about that and how that influenced the decision that you made yep. with your toy shops. Yep. So um, I'm standing in, uh, in the shop in, um, in October of 1990. So this is the October before I became a Christian in the May. And a lady came in the shop and uh, asked for me and I went, she said to me, Gary, um, I'd like to talk to you about your shop window. Uh, so I thought, I know what's coming. I know what's coming. And I said to her, do you normally write to me? Um, (laughs) And every year towards the end of October, I used to get a a letter of complaint about my window. So he said, no, I've never written to you. But Gary, why are you selling Halloween products? And I said, because I'm in business and I buy and sell things. And that's how I make a profit. And um, anyway, we had a bit of a discussion. I can't remember quite what she said. But towards the end, when I explained that actually being in business means you buy and sell, she said to me, and I'm not a Christian. So she was very brave because um, she got a little sarcasm back from me at the time. She said to me, Gary, if you stop selling Halloween, the Lord will replace your lost business in other ways. Yes. I thought, I thought she was bonkers. I absolutely yeah. thought that was ridiculous. Yeah. So six months later, I now, I now believe in Jesus. And I'm thinking, what are you going to do about Halloween? Um, and, and I think actually at the time, I might even have had a conversation with you. Yes. And, and I remember you said to me, the Bible says, avoid that that even appears to be evil. That's right. Don't avoid evil yeah. if it appears to be evil. Yes. And in a way, you don't need to have a discussion with everybody else and decide whether you're not. It appears to be evil because if it's worrying you, avoid it. Because the Holy Spirit inside you is challenging you. You don't need a second opinion. Just go with what you think God is saying. No. So, uh, so uh, um, Halloween of October 1991, no Halloween. Had three shops at the time. Sales rocketed in, in October. And the thing is, that for me has been, has been how I've seen God be faithful over and over and over again. But there's one little thing, because there's a passage in the Bible that, that has been my, my, my guiding star. It says, I will honour those that honour me. Yes. And, and what I think is true about that passage, God is faithful in that, provided, of course, our motive is true. Yeah. Because if we want God to do something for us, if our motive is wrong, that, that, that just doesn't work. Yeah. But actually, you know, I do what I do because I think it's the right thing to do. And if God chooses to make that right, then Lord, thank you very much. I know. And oh, you're so right there, Gary. You know, one of the Beatitudes says that the pure shall see God. And the word in Greek for pure is gatharos. And the root meaning of that word is no mixed motives. Right. So who are the people going to see God? The people with no mixed motives. And yes. it's so true what you were saying. So that was one, one revelation that God gave you. But then he also challenged you on another big issue about Sunday trading. Yep. So tell us about yep. that. So back in 1994, so I've now been a Christian for three years. The government changed the Sunday trading laws to allow shops to open for six hours on a Sunday. And um, 
John, you had started the Ten Commandments series by That's then. That's right. And I remember sitting at St. Andrew's and you preached about keeping the Sabbath holy. Yes. A, day, a day doing something different. Yes. And I, I was really challenged by that. And, and um, because as a Christian, I worked six days, seven days a week. I, I, you know, there was no differentiation. Sure. And, and I thought, Lord, how does, how does, now the shops can open for seven days. How does that work? Um, and I prayed about it from June until um, about September. And I, and I remember one Thursday night, I know exactly where I was sitting and I know the friends that I was praying with. I said, God, what's the point in praying if you don't answer prayer? And, and I felt the Lord say to me, Gary, no amount of praying is going to get me to change my mind. But the thing is, I probably knew at the outset that actually Sundays were no go. Yeah. So it's not about trading on a Sunday. <laughs> it's about working on a Sunday. Sure. So over the years, we've refined what we do because obviously the Internet's become much bigger business. Yes. And, uh, and our Internet trades on a Sunday. But we don't answer the phone on a Sunday. And we don't pack your order on a Sunday. We do all that on a Monday. But on a, sat on, a, on a Sunday, the computers work, but we don't work. No, and you've got a sign outside your store. I remember reading a sign outside one of your stores about the Sunday. What, what does it say? It, 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 I don't know we have it in the stores today, but it says uh, we're closed today. Our staff are with their family. Uh, that's, uh, that's it. I really like that. Yeah. But it's so true what you said earlier on, uh, that verse from Chronicles, those who honour God, God will honour. Well, none of us, Gary, um, ever thought of a year like 2020. Um, how has this year affected you and your business? So we've been in business for 39 years. Um, our oldest two sons are in the business. It's, it's very much a family business. We've grown substantially over the last decade. Uh, we survived 2009 and eight, the financial crisis. And that was, that was a really worrying time when you go into your peak trading period and literally almost overnight in, in, in October, your business collapses 30%. Yes. Um, because we're a family business, we don't have big reserves. We don't have an overseas parent that can just yes. slide us more cash to keep us going. Um, then in the last 10 years, we've had a couple of once in a lifetime opportunities. You know, war was closed, unfortunately, in 2009. Um, and then, unfortunately, again, three years ago, Toys R Us closed. So there's been a few structural changes within our industry. But who would have thought that as we went into 2010, that within a month or so, we were going to be told we'd have to close our shops for 12 weeks? Yes. You know, the lion's share, 90% um, of our income comes from stores at that time of the year, 10% from the Internet. And here you are now with, with, your, with your income stopped, completely turned off. So for, for a month, I, it, it was a lonely place to be yes. um, because nearly 2,000 people are reliant upon you delivering their monthly paycheck. Yeah. Um, and, and, and some of those might have been the only breadwinner in that family. But, but you know, I employ just, just great normal people. These aren't millionaires. These aren't yeah. people who've inherited fortunes. They're not driving around in flash cars. These are just really committed yes. people to our business um, and over 110 of them in fact this year with the new people that have joined probably nearly 150 of those staff have worked for the company for more than 10 years this is yeah. this is this is a real commitment sure. in the same way that they've given a huge commitment to us 
And I looked at the cash burn of the business, that's the, the cash that we had, the facilities we had from the bank, and, and the expenses we had going out, and we would have run out of money in less than two months. We would literally have run out of cash. So businesses can survive and make a loss, um, but businesses with no cash flow could be profitable and run out of cash and still go bust. Yes. So I, 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 I really thought, the early part of March, I really thought that nearly 40 years, my whole career was, 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 was teetering on the edge. And I have to say that the UK government have saved our business. They really yes. have. And, and I know that the taxpayer have, 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 have had to pay out billions of pounds. Yeah. But they've saved. They've saved. We haven't made anybody redundant. Uh, OK, we're, we're still going through a very difficult time. It's only October. And, and just this week, we've, we've, we've been told that our wealth shops have got to close for two weeks. Yes. So lockdown is starting again. But now it's more critical because in, it's in the last quarter of the year. And, it, and, and Christmas is the only time that we make any money. So we've survived the first shock, but but the virus is creeping. It's the, the, the R rate, which is how they, it's getting higher. It's the risks are higher. Um, the government are having to make difficult decisions. Yes. But closing our stores in in the last quarter of any year, that's that's going to be a real challenge. So we're managing our costs. We're managing our cash. Um, we're doing everything we can to make good decisions, but it's been a pretty pressured year. Yeah. There's so many scriptures, Gary, uh, like, do not be anxious, <laughs> do not worry. Yeah. Um, in, in times like this, um, we're, you know, we don't always lean on the law, do we? How have you found it? Have you? <laughs> well, I think it's amazing how much you pray when you're in a corner. <laughs> <laughs> I commend praying when you're in a corner, but Absolutely. actually I commend praying when you're not in a corner as yeah. well, because uh, God wants to be on board for the good times and of the tougher course. times. It, it is a it is a you know a, a permanent relationship. And then you've got to lean on the Lord. But what I like is that um, um, despite all that's happened, um, you still used your business, you used your premises, you used your warehouse uh, to help other needy people. Yeah. So tell us about the opportunity yeah. that arose. Well, um, I often say that business can be a force for good. Um, and I often also speak about generosity. And, and I think if you speak to people about generosity, the first thing that springs to mind is money. But generosity can be demonstrated in so many different ways. Of course, we can be generous with our money. And if we have money and we see somebody without money, you know, I think we should be challenged. Sure. Um, and, and, and that happens very regularly to me. But also we can be generous with our time. Um, and many people have, have skills and talents and the next generation needs the baton passed on. So be yes. generous with our time. But also we can be generous with our resources. Yeah. So back to the question that you asked, um, business can be a force for good. We're in the middle of trying to hold everything together. And I get a call from, um, from one of our UK national food banks. Say, Gary, you did say you could potentially help us if we needed any help with logistics. So I'm balancing all this around. But, but our main warehouse that would normally handle um, some in the region of um, four, um, 40, probably about 40 articles of, of toys a week. Yes. Is not shipping toys. So, so the, the main, the working area is, is just sitting there empty. 
So I said, well, yeah, we can probably help with logistics. What had you got in mind? And uh, a UK national supermarket had basically volunteered to give £15 million worth of food to go into the food bank network. Amazing. But Arctics of food and a food bank operating out of a church hall or something, that isn't going to work. There's got to be a bit of a a linking up in the middle. So over a 10-week period, we took in 300 Arctics of food. (laughs) Um, The guys in the warehouse remodelled the pallet so you didn't have a whole pallet of baked beans or a whole pallet of soup. You had some soup and baked beans and some corned beef or whatever else, went, cornflakes, whatever else went out on those pallets. So that the food bank had a full selection of food, not one pallet full of the same food. Um, and over a 10-week period, we handled 9 million meals. That's incredible. And I think what really churned me up was uh, the food bank, who were regularly in contact with the warehouse, sort of coordinating the in and the out. They said to the guys in the warehouse, you do realise that, the, that the, the food you're handling this morning it will actually be on people's tables tonight. That's how critical some of the areas are in the UK. Wow. So, so we made a difference, even in a time of hardship. Absolutely. Business can be a force for good. So I would encourage all of us to, to look at this concept of generosity. If we can afford to give, be generous, give. And my experience of, 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 of uh, God over the last um, 30 years is I've never been able to outgive God. No, absolutely. It, it, it might be a leaking bucket. You keep giving away, but do you know what? It comes in as fast as it goes out. I'm not saying this year's an easy year. No. Um, and therefore, we're having to use what we have in a, in a different way. But we do have skills and talents. We do have resources. Uh, and I would encourage everybody to make a difference, to pass that baton on uh, in the society or the Amazing. local community in which they live. And, and that's something, I mean, you can be really proud of, Gary, uh, that in this very difficult year, um, you used your uh, resources uh, to share so many millions of meals yeah. with others. I mean, that is amazing. And I know that you um, and your wife, uh, Kath, and your family um, have been very um, generous and gracious um, in helping the needy. And um, you also have like a, quite a compassion uh, for sick children uh, and I know you've helped many different places and people uh, but one of the ones I really like is the one where you um, helped uh, with a ward at Great Ormond Street. Can you, can you tell us that story? Yes, yeah, so um, yes, so uh, Kath was a Great Ormond Street ward sister yes. um, and I met her um, while she was still nursing in London actually and um, we, we've over the years given back to many, many children's charities. You know, it's the concept of tithing isn't a nice thing to do. I think it is a bit of an instruction. And the thing is about the Christian faith, if you use it as a bit of pick and mix, I'll do a few odd bits and see what, it, you yeah. can't get the full blessing of being yeah. a Christian and, and being in the flow of what's going on. So, so very early on, um, we started tithing. In fact, actually, yes. it was Kath. I've been a Christian for about two months. And, <laughs> and, and Kath said, um, Gary, when are we going to start tithing? I said, what, what's tithing? She, give, she said, we give 10% of our income um, back to the church and to charities. I said, what? 10% of our income? I said, we can't do that. We earn too much. Yeah. But, <laughs> but anyway, within a month, we're tithing. Yes. We're, we're, we're on the journey. 
and uh, and it's been it's been amazing and and from being somebody maybe I wouldn't have considered myself to be mean but looking back I probably was mean um, looking back um, thinking that, you know maybe Gary you were mean to be able to sometimes stand in the crowd and know that actually we did that we did that or we did that that's you sure. don't have to have your name over it so we joined something at Great Ormond Street called the TikTok Club and what I love about Great Ormond Street apart from the fact that the Cath um, trained there and worked there yes. and has a still a real soft um, part in her heart for Great Ormond Street sure. and, and for sick children, is that not only are they a centre of excellence for really sick children in the UK, but they train up doctors and nurses that come here for training from yes. all around the world. Yes. So you're not just doing one little thing, you're multiplying that around the world and making a difference through the expertise and the training and the research. So we joined something called the TikTok Club, and one of the um, uh, projects was um, of um, the heart and lung ward, and um, one of our, and and this ward opened, and we had we had given quite a lot towards this ward or this particular wing that was opening, and um, one of our grandchildren yes. was born with a hole in the heart, yeah. and within two weeks of this ward opening. Our grandson had gone through that ward. I know. And and it oh. felt like, if you know, I think there's this thing in the world called, is it giving ahead or... Was it, yeah, pay, pay it forward. Pay it forward. It? Yeah. We never give because we think there's a payback. No. It's just, we would. why would you do that? But to believe that we did that, along with hundreds of other people, this wasn't us, there was hundreds of people that, that helped get that ward open. And to be one of the first patients through that ward was, was humbling, actually. Um, and it just inspires you. Do you know what? We should do more. We should be doing more. You know, why, why, why is it 10%? Just, just do more. Yeah. Um, whilst we've got money in the bank and there's people in the world with absolutely nothing, we should be doing more. We should be generous people. Absolutely, Gary. But I, I just love that story uh, that you, uh, Kath, and the family invested in this wing at Great Ormond Street, not knowing that, in fact, your grandson would be one of the very first beneficiaries of that ward. Uh, and he's a healthy little boy now, yep, yep. which is Amazing. wonderful. Gary, you are an inspiration. Uh, it's great uh, to see a man of conviction um, who basically takes the, the principles, the values, the teaching of the Bible and applies it to business. and. Our prayer for you, Gary, and your family and your business is that um, nothing will hinder. And um, I think one thing that I've learned, Gary, through this time is that, you know, God, God's providence, God's got this. And, um, uh, and I like that verse in Song of Songs where it says, winter is over, springtime has come, and the sound of doves can be heard. And yeah. well, I pray that for you and the entertainer and for other businesses uh, that are represented by viewers all over the world. Thank you so Thank much, you. Gary, for joining us on Facing Thank the Canon. Well, that's a, a challenge, isn't it? To take what we believe uh, and, and not just apply it personally, but apply it to everything. And, you know, basically surrendering to the Lord uh, our time, our talents, our treasure, uh, and, and just being um, faithful guardians. Thank you for joining us on Facing the Canon. 
please join us again. You've been listening to the J. John Podcast. To find out more about J. John's ministry, visit www.canonjjohn.com and follow him on social media. Heroes of the Faith is a new podcast by J. John and his wife, Killy. Sign up today to hear the incredible stories of some of J. John's heroes of the Christian faith and the lessons we can learn from their lives. Hear about Harriet Tubman, who after escaping from a life of slavery in the USA, went on to rescue over 300 other slaves. John Bunyan, whose book, The Pilgrim's Progress, has sold more copies than any other book other than the Bible and inspired millions of people around the world. George Muller, who helped tens of thousands of children whilst leaving a lasting legacy of trust in God's provision. Ever wondered who saved more lives than anyone else on earth? Listen to the story of Edward Jenner, the Christian doctor who discovered vaccination. With a new story to be told each week, sign up now to hear J. John's Heroes of the Faith.